Gentlemen, start your engines. <clears throat> now I've got something that's stuck in my throat. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. <laughs> nine times. Hello, and hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 221 of the More Than Just Go podcast. My name is Tim and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Greg Hio in San Francisco, California. How's it going? Number nine. Number nine. And I'm also joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. And Hami's off getting fitted for new dentures or something. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I just want to start off uh, before we dig into the uh, regular stuff. Um, there's a there's an event coming up. Um, by the time this hits the street, you may be able to hear it. It's basically a thank you to our patrons uh, it's being organized through patreon.com they've asked us to do something special for that so with that said i would like to thank our current patrons who are sean marston wade tragakis uh jeffrey fulton adam beardsley alicia ramirez who is of course you know freezing her butt off in winnipeg as she likes to say and jolt guy i think he's in whitby somewhere um and i'd also like to throw out a thanks to our, our past sponsors and some of our followers as well so we had felix wang um neil van fleet ryan Ryan. Jerry Banfield, Just Right Code, I wonder who that is, The Catterwalls, Aaron Vince, uh, Bill Smith, Emery Sari, and Adam Armstrong, of course. So, yeah, thanks to you people for being our supporters. Every little nickel you guys throw us helps with, you know, saving off the, the banks and the collectors and stuff. So, it's all appreciated. Thank you very much. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Thanks, Woo-hoo. everybody. All right. Yeah. So, hey, um, yeah, so you mentioned we have some um, Ask MTJC. We do have Great. some from uh, Paul Wilkinson, who mm-hmm. writes in to ask about localization. Uh, I don't know when you guys might have talked about this, but he says, following up on the mobile slash cellular localization, I noticed that macOS now asks you to confirm that you want to empty the bin instead of the trash. Mm-hmm. Is this an mm-hmm. Australian localization? I have not. I just tried emptying the trash, as it's called here, and it says trash, but um, bin, that sounds like a British thing, but maybe it's Australian it's as well. It's British, yeah. 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 Bin would be to bin something or to throw it out would be to bin it. Yeah, yeah. but he suggests also perhaps Australian, so I don't know. Maybe our Australian listeners can <laughs> Tell us well, what he, it says. He's actually, uh, I believe he's in Australian in Australia. Mm. He's, he's, he's mentioned he's mentioned that before because we had some questions about time zones and things, and he was or with uh, cellular plans or something like that. I forgot what his Ask MTJC was in the yeah, past. Yeah, I but. think that's why he's referencing the uh, mobile plans and things like that. Um, right. So yeah, yeah, if yeah. he's seeing Bin, then um, I, I, he would be the expert. Uh, if that's new, then uh, that sounds great that they're doing that level of uh, localization. I should pay more attention. Though. Yeah, okay. I did set my yeah, Siri yes. voice on my phone to the uh, British voice, so maybe I'll see if uh, it starts telling me about looking through the bin instead of looking through the garbage or something, however we would say it. Mm, yeah, I don't know about that, but mm. I, that's, that would be a strings thing that would be localized in, in his uh, machine there. So, hmm, interesting stuff. Alright, so we have some follow-up here. Uh, Jaime basically posted a, our Ars Technica article about Apple replacing unresponsive iPhone touch touchscreens for free. Um, I heard a little bit about this earlier this week. I guess some people are having issues with their, their screens locking up. Right? Have you guys heard about this? I haven't. I saw a bunch of other things about them uh, I think they, another keyboard replacement, something about the battery on the MacBook, or sorry, mm-hmm. the SSDs on the MacBook Escape. That's the 13-inch MacBook without the touch bar, and there's some SSD issues. I saw a whole bunch of sort of recall-related... <laughs> escape. Okay. That's, that's what they're calling it. Uh, I saw a whole bunch of recall-related things over the last week, though. I haven't. I don't have an iPhone 10. I have the 10s from this year, but I don't have the 10, so right, I haven't heard right. about any issues with it. Um, I mean, I haven't been keeping keeping up with that stuff. Well, I had my screen replaced last year because I had the laser, the lightsaber effect with a green line along the edge. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I've already had mine replaced. But uh, uh, oh, and it's covering it for three years after sale, which is good because you know, as you know, Apple Care uh, the normal warranty is one year for hardware, but it's t- uh, three years if you two years if you have Air- Apple Care Plus. Um, but this extends it for yet another year. So interesting. I haven't had oh. any uh, screen issues with my iPhone 10, but I am having worsening cellular connectivity with my iPhone 10. Really? And I and I do know I have one of the, the Intel phones, not the Qualcomm phones. Uh, how do you know that? Modem. Uh you can look up the serial number and it will tell you. Not the serial number, the uh the part number, oh, product okay. number. Uh and mine is hold on, I'm gonna look and get it right now. Let's all go to our phones. Yep. So yeah, so model mqam 2 ll currently has the Intel modem in it. So what's your middle numbers? MQ oh, you're AM2LL. You're an A I'm AF2V. 
and then CA is Canada. So mm-hmm. that's how they know where I'm a Canadian, or at least about the phone in Canada. Yeah, I've noticed recently that my connectivity is is getting much worse uh, to the point where sometimes I can't even you know make calls or, or you know do anything over cellular. It's it's pretty bad. Really? Huh. Yep. Yeah, I have issues with with connectivity, but I'm you know usually down in the under a big giant building in downtown Toronto. But mm-hmm. yeah, but I never had trouble making a call. That's weird. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's you know I can make the call, but it's it's it breaks up and it's you know it's uh, not good connectivity. Mm, I call that getting rogered up here. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, which is because our, our our supplier's name is Rogers, by the way. Just in case people were thinking something else. Um, all right. So, Mark, you have something about an exploding yeah, iPhone. Yeah. Speaking 10. of iPhone tens, there's there's a report out that someone updated their iPhone ten to twelve point one, and as soon as they disconnected from the power, it exploded. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's some pretty interesting pictures online about this that that you can see. We'll we'll post uh, references to them. Uh, the the classic thing though is uh, is Apple's response, which was this is quote definitely not expected behavior unquote. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Well, to me, it looks like the if you look on the the picture where the back the back glass is broken, it looks like it's mm-hmm. broken away around where the where the induction circuitry is, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Because that's that's where my uh, you know that's the, sort of the sweet spot when I put it on my key charger. That's where it, it shows up, right? Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it's blown. Blow, well, I guess it, it, it does get warm well, when it charges, that's for sure, right? Yeah, true. I wouldn't say this is not like exploding or catching fire or whatever. Like, you know, we've seen, we've personally seen batteries blow up, Mark, you and I, mm-hmm. and catch fire. Yep. <laughs> Burned a hole in a woman's purse once. That's, uh, that's right. Yeah, that wasn't a phone battery, but, but it was still, still it pretty was dramatic. Like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was I mean, exciting. It was exciting. Yep. This looks like it's busted through the front and the back, but in different spots, which is interesting. Like mm. on the back, it's almost dead center, but then the front is more towards the bottom towards the bottom yeah yeah so interesting yeah. pattern there but that looks pretty explosive to me <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i don't know kind of kind of a weird thing yeah not expected behavior that's for sure all right tim you have something here about spotify yeah this is a quickie um i just read this morning that uh, spotify has launched their first iphone apple watch app um uh that will apparently let you listen to your playlist on the new phones which ha- or new watches which have speakers built into them right apparently you can't download content to it or like i guess there's no place to store them or something like that but i would also heard that people are able to listen to overcast podcasts on their on their watch now too right but i mean and download things to it um i forget one of the guys at the um taco meetup was talking about it yesterday um but yeah i, I can't remember if he said he could i think he was saying or he got the cellular one and he was saying he can't really doesn't really work for for that but but he does listen to overcast on his on his watch so interesting stuff but uh yeah so and as we know spot we've this is a follow-up item because spotify and apple are sort of you know neck and neck with uh well not quite neck and neck but they're competing on the, the who's going to be your your uh online uh, music play you know whether it's going to be apple or in fact there's no spotify on the home pod that's another knock against uh, against the home pod but uh, the one and done home pod but the um you know of course google play will play with your play your uh, spotify and spotify people i mean people at work use it you know to listen to their music during the day and that kind of stuff too right so mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys have a spotify accounts i do have a spotify account that's my music yep. thing of service of choice yeah music du jour yeah mm-hmm. right okay cool well, anyway, let's come to the watch I, I didn't try downloading it but but uh, it's interesting, though, like just a question for you guys. So you have uh, I have Spotify on my Mac and I notice that every time I reboot my Mac, it, it launches Spotify, but I don't keep Spotify open all the time. Right. So is it like part of our startup items or something? Yeah, it might be in your login items. You can always remove it yeah. or check it yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. just didn't go, yeah, never got around to it. I'm just going to skip doing it now, too. So how about that? <laughs> all right. Um, the next piece is just a follow up uh, article from The Verge about uh, and this is written from, you know, the right to repair guys and the conspiracy theorists about how all the man is trying to keep us down and all that kind of stuff. And the, the man being Apple in this case and keeping us down by not letting us fix our own computers. But the reason I, I posted this here is because when the announcement, which I'm sure Greg still hasn't listened to yet, um, was out and they were talking about the T2 chip and it's now appearing in the, the it's now in the iPad Pros, it's now in the Mac Mini and we were kind of wondering why the Mac Mini, why it would be in the Mac Mini at all. But I do know that from my studies at Apple that the the T2 chip or, or the whole house is the secure enclave and um, so my theory was that if you know you had to replace the touch ID sensor you'd be replacing the, t- the T2 chip and um, any kind of any kind of repairs that would affect something like the drive or storage um, in your SSD flash drive or whatever um, would be encrypted with whatever whatever codes are in your T2 chip anyway so the article goes on about how um, you know is this Apple trying to block people 
people from using from using third third party repair places and parts because now you ha- there's a diagnostic tool that Apple's admitted has to be run on the any device that has a T2 chip to basically I guess it's like a, it, it um, verifies the security or whatever maybe maybe it transfers over the identity from one to the other or something but um, my theory was if you switched out the T2 chip you wouldn't be able to read the drive because the the key that locks the, or encrypts the the data is in the T2 chip in the secure enclave, secure enclave. Um, and that's what they're saying here so I again we were talking about the right to repair and stuff like that I think it last two weeks last week when Greg was on and the week before when Jaime and Mark but um, so they're sort of saying what's I'm just trying to find the name of this this tool that Apple says you have to run so it basically means you have to you know because this tool is only available to Apple authorized service providers or the Apple store then you're kind of limited in terms of where you go to get your things repaired and there's the big debate about whether Apple's charging more money than they should for repairs and that kind of stuff right because mm-hmm. um, it was a report on CBC a couple of weeks ago about that CBC can CBC television here um yes are you looking at the article by any chance guys yeah what's the name of the software we have to run or it needs to be run a long article what do you mean the software that we have to run well there's a piece of software that that when in order to finish the repair there's a diagnostic tool that has to run oh it's called the AST, AST2, AST2 configuration suite configuration suite that needs to be run yeah and that's what um, to complete the repair it says and to in, you know basically make uh, make sure the system is operative operative afterwards so hmm. as Apple says here for Macs with the Apple II T2 chip the repair process is not complete for certain parts and replacements until the AS2 AST2 system configuration suite has been run failure to perform this step will result in in an inoperative system and incomplete repair so and of course got all the iFixit guys up in roar up in arms about that right so yeah I mean this this is another tricky one like we were talking about a few weeks back it's this balance between you know we want to have good security and we want to have privacy uh, but yet at the same time you know right to repair makes sense and it's it's an important thing but I, I suspect that the reason Apple's doing this is is nothing really malicious it's just that if they if they were to give out this tool to just anyone who wanted to be a third-party repair shop well that would enable chop shops right people who are unscrupulous would yeah. could take stolen phones and use this tool and 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 uh, you know resell them as, as like new so I, I think we're 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 still in this transition phase where people are still trying to figure out how digital privacy is going to work in the future and uh, you know I, 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 again I don't I don't think I think I think Apple is not acting maliciously I think they're trying to protect their customers that's true yeah and, and that's why I posted one in my people who are driving at home can't see what I put in the note is that I'm not I'm not in agreement with the tone or position that this post is writing in the article about but the point my point was that that it re- reaffirms the fact that I thought the T2 chip would play an integral role in security going forward and mm-hmm. apparently it does according to even even Apple who usually doesn't disclose kind of things like this mm. um, in any way and, and I, I don't think they're I, like I said I don't think that they're being I agree with Mark that they, I don't think they're doing this on purpose in order to you know to keep people down Apple's more about being the trusted advisor and you know making sure that we're protecting ourselves protecting us from ourselves more or less right so and there's you know that's that's kind of that you you always want to have the best experience you can with your devices and so on and so forth and um, I would I would tend to take my stuff to an Apple person or, or Apple itself to get things repaired if I was you know if I wanted to do it if I wanted you know if I, if I knew it was something I could fix I'd try and do it myself but you know the average the average Joe doesn't have that skill all right um so let's get into the stock discussion so um do we have to <laughs> well yeah, I, know, we, I, know, we can, I know it's yeah it's a pity party i know yep um and, and the long story is my my long um, prediction is I'm going to hang on to my my shares and because uh, I think it'll come back. But I think it's just a, the, what's happening in the industry is just a knee jerk reaction. So let's talk about that. Um, so and this is follow up from what Greg and I were talking last week when we noticed that uh, the um, we were talking about the iPhone XR um, esti- or not the estimates, but the the the, the supply oversupply or the the the, the they had the a pair. production something or the production line or something on standby and apple apparently told them uh you know no thanks we don't need that and it's like oh my god you know iphone XR is you know dead or whatever whatever rumors but yeah, there was doom, another there's another note um or not a note but another uh, analysis from uh, ming chi ko that said um he his sort of estimates for what the um shipments of the 10 are are he's cutting them his original estimate was 100 million units and it's down mm-hmm. to 70 million and so well, it's um, also true that apple apple announced i think last 
last month or last call that that they weren't going to be separating out the the iPhone numbers from uh, from Macs and and services, which they had done in the past. And, and I think that kind of raises some eyebrows in 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 the the stock world that doesn't really understand Apple's position. Because I mean, sixty seven percent of their business up in, or sixty percent of their business up until recently has been iPhone specifically, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah, one way to look at that is that Apple's trying to hide something because they know there's going to be problems in the future and they're trying to hide it. Yeah, I think the best guess is like the number of units sold is going to decrease. That's the same thing from this analysis here. Uh, right. Talking about the talking about the 10 hours specifically about the cutting the forecast, but also that the number of units is probably going to decrease, but the average selling price is probably going to increase. So it's going to look well, like it's just standing still. In price. Yeah, yeah. But it's going to look like it's if they just report the dollar value, it's going to look like it's standing still. I'm like, oh, look, you know, we're about the same or maybe we increased by a little bit, but actually number of units is going to be down is the thinking. Um, so that said, like as of today, um, so the talk stock was already starting to go down when Greg and I were talking about it last week and it's gone even, it continues to go down and it's all based on the react knee-jerk reaction from the markets about, you know, all this um, negative vibe about what's going on because, oh my God, Apple's doing because we're not, they're not buying the third line, third in line uh, phone. Um, but if you listen, I linked in some of the videos here too that from this, uh, from um, Bazinga, no, I think um, on, on the bottom of the CNBC link that I have here, there's a video that they discuss um, a bunch of predictions from a bunch of different stock, you know, pundits. And again, like we said last week, we're not spout stock people. We're not experts in this kind of stuff. Mark knows a little bit more about it, which is why I'm going to ask him some questions in a minute. But, um, but they we're were all saying, shareholders, I think, ourselves. And yeah, we are. for yeah. entertainment yeah. purposes only. Yeah, yeah exactly. Keep in so, mind that the, the overall market has been down too, especially especially today. But the, but I also read today that, or I read, yeah, I read today that that um, the market's also down because Apple's down. Like people are, because, well, you know, they're, yeah. yeah. So so because Apple goes down, people start panicking and, and you know, start, um, you know, I, I'm in it for the long haul. I don't, I don't play the short stocks or whatever. I just, you know, I basically, I believe in Apple as a company. I believe in other companies that I invest in and I just keep my money there because I, I figure, you know, over the long haul, you know, it's going to be good for me and good for them, right? Um, and I have no doubt that Apple's going to, you know, come back to the position they were in before. I don't know if they're going to go as right, rise as high as they do, and I'm not really in the market for that anyway. But um, I do want to ask Mark. So um, they were talking about ASPs. Is that the average stock price or something? Or what does that average mean? sale price usually? Sale price. Okay. Yeah, because they were saying that you know the the sale prices ASPs are down and blah blah blah. And somebody mentioned that Apple was moving towards a bear market. What's the difference between a bear and a bull market? So a, a bull market is is when people are positive on stocks, and the bear market is when people are negative on stocks. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I have a couple of tools that we I use. You know, some of the ones, some of the ones from Apple, and some of the, some through the bank that I work at. Um, and they they show like the prediction of whether you should hold a stock or sell a stock or or you know buy a stock. And for the most part, um, the places I've checked, Apple Apple comes under the buy. So people are still considering it that that it's a, a good buy, right? Um, as of the time of this recording, we're da- it's a, it was down around forty dollars US, but. That's quite a drop from Apple, but um, but if you if you look at the history, yeah, most of that run up was just in the past three four months. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and it's it's not unusual for the stock to go down after after uh, the announcement, right? Usually, like yeah. usually when they have their new phone announcement, you know, everybody's like, oh my god, it's not the next iPhone, iPhone right. two point or whatever. Not this right? much, but <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there usually is a little bit of buying the rumors, selling the news going on. Right. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Usually not this much, right? And when's the, when's the next um, result? So this is we're now in the first quarter of Apple's next year, right? So usually, and usually they have their report sometime around um, after Christmas, right? Yeah, I think the right? next report will be after Christmas. So the the next dividend payment is is due in a day or two. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which may which may also contribute to why there's been some sell off. You know, the the ex dividend date. So there's two dates associated with dividends. There's what's called the ex dividend date, which is the date where if you're a share shareholder, registered shareholder before or up to the ex-dividend date, then you get the dividend. Even if you sell the stock after that date, oh, you still, you get, still it. get the oh. dividend. 
uh, and and the actual date that it's paid out is is sometime later. Uh, so X dividend was you know a few weeks back or whenever it was, uh, and the actual payment date is the next couple of days. So so for some people it makes sense. You know once once they've locked in the dividend, they just sell and they get out. They take their profits, they go, and uh, and if a lot of people do that, that can contribute to the stock going down for sure. Right, right. I, again, usually not this much, but. Uh, but it's all contributing factors. Yeah, and then you can go on the word of Jim Cramer, you know, who's who says Apple's still a good good buy. <laughs> yep. So we believe in that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is related to the tariffs that are in place right now uh, with China. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're definitely mm-hmm. Apple's shipments to China are presumably going to be affected by that potentially pretty strongly, and that could be right. why the the ten R is lighter than expected. It's possible. I don't I don't know. I'm speculating. Right. Right. But it's certainly yeah. possible. Well, and it's hard to see. We we don't have we don't have you know the same crystal ball that Apple's looking to for you know they can tell from the the number of orders I guess on the first day or first couple of days what what the sort of sales cycle is going to be like for these things right so mm-hmm. and people might and last year you know the the 10 was didn't come out until December I think right wasn't it delayed when the iPhone 10 was available I think it was only so, like a month wasn't it wasn't like more like October yeah I don't know somebody mentioned December today but I'm not sure if that number was actually right but yeah it was a delay like you could get the eight for uh, many moons before you could get the uh, the iPhone 10 last year, but this this year it's the other way around. You get you get the 10s and 10s Max a week or two before the 10R was available, right? So yeah, it was November 3rd for last year. So the event is usually like September, and they're like, oh, yeah. the new phones are available for order this week, delivering next week, and so they're about a month out. Yeah. Uh, November 3rd yeah. was the delivery date. Yeah, and it's hard to say what the what the market's thinking too. Like, I mean, the consumers, I, th- I should say, are thinking that. Um, I think I thought we said that somebody had mentioned that the purchase of an iPhone 10R was still a great purchase because you're saving a couple hundred bucks or $250 less than you would pay for an iPhone 10s, right? Um, and you're getting just as good a phone. You know, if you're not into like the you know highfalutin photography and you're not into the, even though it's still got a great camera and you're not into, you, you don't really need the OLED disc- display, the apparently the liquid retina display is quite good. In fact, it's the same one they're using in an iPad Pro. So um, I still think the 10R is, is a decent phone, right? You know, it's my opinion, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, so Jaime's not here, but he did post a couple of things here which we can probably dig into and talk about well one of them is it's actually technically follow-up because greg and i were talking about this last week uh samsung's foldable smartphone right um yeah this, isn't this the same link you put in there greg got a video at the top now uh i don't think the link i put in had a video quite yet this still looks like it's a bad animated gif capture from the keynote so maybe samsung hasn't released any yeah. actual media of this thing yet um, right but these uh the, vi- the little video in the photos look much better than the ones that i uh from the article i had although you know i was posting articles from the day of so they didn't have quite all the assets yet. Yeah, and to be honest, it looks kind of the, the sample phone they got here looks kind of clunky and thick. But um, I, I heard something somebody talking about it earlier this week, and they were describing it as a tablet that folds so it can become the size of a smartphone, which makes sense to me. Like in terms of like if you want to have a tablet, you open it up, and if you want to just use it as a as a you know touch device, you keep it closed, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, that thing in the picture that looks like it's about an inch thick. I mean, that's yeah, that yeah, kind of nutty to carry around. <laughs> yeah. Won't fit in your pocket. Here we go again. Yeah, I think the maybe the more interesting thing that was coming out from the Android world was the uh, Night Sight camera. Did you see anything about that? Night Sight? No, what's that? Yeah, um, I saw some side by sides. I'll, I'll put something in the show. Notes. I think I saw it on the Twitter um, of the just uh, basically like a low light camera. And so I think mm-hmm. the Pixel Three, which um, I've seen a couple of, uh, I've seen a bunch of folks with with the with the Pixel Three posting just like normal photos on Twitter and on Instagram and places, and it's like, oh, you know, that looks pretty good. But mm-hmm. I believe believe it's like a software update that they're having uh, i think that went out today and it's this feature called night sight and it's like super good low light uh camera so if you're taking oh, a photo cool. in the dark then it will um uh, brighten it up i think it's uh, doing some things with like multiple exposures you know to avoid like shake maybe it takes i think the smart hdr on the phone does something similar where it's actually taking a lot of frames even though you're holding it up and you push the shutter it was sort of like live photos it was taking some frames before and after and it'll kind of combine them uh, so it's like a super duper kind of an hdr um so this one says for night set it's taking 15 frames in a third of a second so you need to you do need to kind of hold it steady to let it do its job but then they can combine all of the exposures together to get this um really good 
um, exposure. Let me just post one thing in here. Uh, I'll find the tweets and I'll post it in, but it was just a bunch of side-by-sides. Uh, let me just put it above the well, Android Apple, stuff Apple here. said they were doing... Apple's talk, or announcement talked about doing a similar thing. Um, They're doing the it with the HDR um, for, yeah. like, if you have a very, very bright... Um, I don't know, it's like a blue sky, very bright day, and you're standing in front of it and you're a little bit backlit, then to get, like, yeah. a good exposure yeah. for both the person and for the background. This is, like, if you click on the link there, it's a CNET link, and you scroll mm-hmm. down a little bit, the images are a little slow to load. But there's one where it's, like, similar to Apple, where uh, it's, like, a tree on a path, and it's, like, the path is well lit, but the tree is sort of in shadow, but then if you look at the combined hdr image, like, the tree looks nice and bright as well as the path. But if you look at the picture of the cat, for example, the one on the left is just completely mm. black, <laughs> yeah. and the one on the right is, like, it's a cat on a couch. And so it's a pretty good... Um, a pretty good comparison there between the two. I will, like I said, I'll find the tweet because it was a very good, um, I think it was like somebody in the bedroom or something like that. It was like really, really dark. And uh, it showed the side-by-side between what the um, night site was doing. Sure, sure. I, just use, I just use the Instagram filters to fix my pictures. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Always you know, do it for the gram. I approve straighten of that. Straighten them. I didn't, I didn't, until Greg pointed, I think Greg or Jaime pointed out you can straighten your images once you've taken them. Like Yeah, they even do this skew, so like a perspective yeah. fix. If you're taking a picture of a, a tall building from below and it's like the perspective is skewed, it's, uh, it's got a yeah. lot of stuff in there. Yeah, It's pretty nice. I mean, you know, it, it, yeah, I use it all the time. Like, cause, uh, you know, if I'm standing across the street from a building and I want to take a picture of the building, I think it's an interesting building and i can use the, the skew tool to fix it it's great mm-hmm, for sure yeah so, uh, so i don't right. need a stinking samsung phone i got into <laughs> it's the pixel phone uh, <laughs> exactly. here we go i got that i got a better link this one is from the verge uh for you oops for y'all to click on uh this one has that nice web thing where you, it has a slider if you uh i guess if you slide across or if you're on a desktop and you move the mouse left and right the yeah. top photo is a gentleman standing in a dark uh, garage or something like that and you can see the uh, night side it's like still a little dark but you can see his face it's kind of he's holding his phone so he's like the uh screen of the phone is sort of lighting up his face but if you look at the original version it's yeah. just like totally um blocky lots of iso noise on there uh no good um so this link is a lot better the one on the verge and you can see the difference between the two so interesting thing the whole thing about computational photography is always really interesting to me because it's like we've re- yeah. we're reaching sort of hardware limits of sensor sizes and you know aperture and things like that so we have to rely on the neural engine or whatever uh, google is doing in the pixel 3 to sort of uh, improve the photos in um, that people are taking with these devices. So some cool stuff here. Mm-hmm. Still slow to load, though. Is it? Even the Verge link? Oh, yeah. There's yeah. some good one. Okay. Yeah, there's some really... Uh, there's like the guy with a selfie and it's like, you, you know, you can't even see him, but with Nightside on, it's, it looks like it looks like the daytime to me. So uh, some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird sidebar discussion here for a second. So I've been noticing that, like, for... I'm not... Maybe it's Mojave or something, but my... I'm finding web pages take a long time to load these days. And then when I look at my, my, uh, my data transfer rate from my ISP, it's like 150 megabytes megabits per second up and down so i don't understand why things are slowing down like safari just seems to be really sluggish or whatever i've right? seen so. that actually that for certain web pages and i can't track down which ones or why it's certain ones and not others uh the i will go to the page and and the progress bar will go to about 10 15 and pretty much just stop and i can you know kill the page reload it nothing is killing safari yeah. and restarting safari and it just loads instantly really so yeah, yeah somebody with safari yeah i've had that kind of thing even before Mojave, where mostly with downloads, I would click something and would download it. It would be like really, really slow, like 10, you know, kilobytes per second or something like that. And I would pause it and start it again. And it would go like, you know, one megabyte per second and just finish the download in a couple seconds. Mm-hmm. But always the first time it does, or very often the first time it won't do it. And I have to stop and restart it once. Um, so for big downloads, I notice that a lot. Yeah, no, th- this is just for web pages. Which yeah. Should, you know, which should uh, load almost instantaneously. Yeah. Yeah, you would think. No, there's something going on with files and uh, yeah. 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 I'm actually still using High Sierra on this computer that I'm mm. recording on right now. So maybe maybe Mojave will help, but uh, you're saying no. Tim, you're on Mojave and having trouble. I'm on Mojave. Well, it could be that people are people are uploading um, um, P- high-res PNGs or, or the largest file, large, largest image, image they can, right? Uh, I notice that a lot when, I, when I'm publishing the podcast, for instance, if I, if I put a PNG in as the, as the sort of you know um, feature image and I load it on some sites like Slack or whatever, it takes a long time to render. Whereas if I just use a JPEG, it's, you know, obviously much smaller so it's going to be download faster right mm-hmm. um they seem to be more performant so it could be it could be that Pe- people's phones are getting 
better and the size of the file is getting you know larger and they're uploading the, the high reses and stuff like that. Could be. I think it's still something with Safari. Something yeah, weird, I agree. But I stick with Safari anyway because it's still all around the best browser for me to use, I think. So I'll stick with my theme of last week of saying it's interesting to see what other vendors, um, Android being the other sort of mobile phone vendor in the world that we kind of pay attention to, uh, what they're up to. And photography is a bigger piece of these devices every day. And Apple had a big leap in terms of portrait mode and things that uh, came out this year with the camera. So it's interesting to see what, uh, you know, how the other half lives and what those Android folks are up to. Maybe as a preview of what we might see uh, next year from Apple. Perhaps, perhaps. Cool. All right. So one last thing here we have in our uh, main area is your thing about LSP. Yeah. I think this came up in the news. There's this thing from, uh, I think it's Microsoft with their Visual Studio Code editor. And they were thinking like, we need some way to do syntax highlighting. And um, Microsoft is very well known for their CodeSense. What's it called? The autocomplete thing that they have. Not Is it CodeSense? What's it called? Uh, Jaime would know. Whatever their autocomplete is that everybody speaks very highly of in Visual Studio. And so they've sort of protocolized it and said, we need a generic, you know, syntax highlighter code infra metadata kind of information service. And so they've made this spec called the LSP, the Language Server Protocol, which is like a server, um, it's like a JSON-based RPC thing that says, like, here's a snippet of code, what should it look like? Or here's a snippet of code that somebody is typing, here's the context, what should I suggest? And then the service is supposed to give that back very quickly. And then that way you can make these little plugins for different languages. So a text editor like Visual Studio Code, you can imagine people could write their own plugins for these things, for their own languages, and get all kinds of things like, um, you know, smarter search and replace and all those kinds of features that we like in editors, refactoring, all that kind of thing. And so uh, Apple, maybe a month ago, six weeks ago, I don't remember, but they announced that they were going to bring Swift under this umbrella and have a sort of uh, a language server protocol compliant server that can support Swift. And then maybe that would wrap, I think the plan was that that would wrap SourceKit, which we all know and love. And then eventually the long-term plan was to have Xcode use um, LSP to do the um, all of its work with syntax having and all that stuff. And then maybe you know Xcode could be used for more than just C, Objective-C, um, Swift and whatever else it supports right now. Uh, so that's the idea there. So nice to see Apple jumping on a, a standard. And uh, the other benefit is that this thing is sort of open source available. So you can um, get support for this in other editors like Sublime Text and other places. So the Swift folks have announced they have their sort of version one of this open source on their GitHub. And um, it's the Swift language service. And I think it includes C and Objective-C and other things um, that follows the language server protocol. So you can plug it into Visual Studio Code or uh, I think they they provide this sort of initial implementations for visual or the instructions at least for visual studio code and sublime text if you use one of those two and then um, it uses again source kit and all that other stuff under the hood but this provides a nice interface for the text editors to support it so i saw somebody um i'll find the tweet uh, i'll find the tweet somebody tweeted they got this working with emacs if you're a unix nerd <laughs> and it was giving like autocomplete and things in swift in emacs because uh, he got it all play- i guess he wrote a little bit of elisp and got it all hooked up there so again it's a nice sort of language neutral standard lsp and now there's going to be swift support for it so all the pieces are going to be coming together so lots of interesting stuff going on in the language world and it's all open source as well um the lsp the swift lsp implementation is also written mostly in swift so it's just another uh, you know i always enjoy reading code and seeing how other people write swift so it's nice to see another example of um you know swift style and how you might write swift from mm-hmm. the folks at uh, at apple so i'll put a link to the uh, i think i have a link to the announcement right now the form announcement i'll put a link to the github repository and i'll find the uh, video or screenshot i found of uh, lisp uh, somebody editing swift in lisp with all of the uh, syntax features in there cool very cool all right okay um and so the tldr is basically we'll you know be able to use that in in other editors and get code hinting and all that kind of stuff right uh that's the idea yeah and then yeah. again this will be also plugged into xcode i think there was a talk at swift summit last year uh they had some folks from apple talking and one of the guys was talking about how um you can submit your own refa- the things that you can put in the refactoring menu of xcode and you could submit your own and eventually make it into xcode um so it was like you know people can if, if you can write that kind of thing then you can make your own refactoring tool and maybe make it into there so this is like one other vector i think to the to get um if you're interested you know, to get your code into xcode and get it more widely used um but yeah it won't just be xcode it'll be all kinds of editors out there in theory that can support this stuff when's the vi version coming <laughs> i should start working on that i'm actually yeah. thinking of uh <laughs> thinking of switching over to emacs uh please don't email me 
but uh, I'm thinking about it. Why? Um, I don't know. I feel like I, you know, want to just shake things up and give it a try. And I kind of like the idea of having, I mean, I, I mean, I like Lisp as well, but I like the idea of having a whole operating system under Emacs and doing all kinds of things. With it. I mean, people do all kinds of cool stuff in there with like org mode. They keep track of their life. You know, they have like a million scratch pads going. They have the little shell in there. And I kind of like the idea of it. I think, you know, maybe it didn't make as much sense 30 years ago because it was like, it really was an operating system and that was all you ran. But these days it's, I feel like it's a lot more flexible. Um, so anyway, I'm just thinking about it. I like to, you know, I don't like to be too tied to one thing and say, you know, VI forever. I'm never going to learn anything else. Like that seems kind of silly. So I'm like, well, maybe I should try it out and see if I, I feel like it's going to be a big rabbit hole and maybe I'll get sucked in and I'll be like, you know, <laughs> dreaming in Elisp or something like that. But I don't think that'll happen. And I think I'll uh, I think I'll be okay, but I do want to try it out. I'm thinking about it. Interesting. I don't know text editors or text editors. Um, all right. <laughs> Lisp is an English, is an interesting language, though. If if you've if you've never programmed in Lisp, it's uh, it, it's worth doing once at least. <laughs> you might not want to do it more than once, but it's worth doing it at least once. Yeah, I think there's the famous quote about how like you know I don't know how much I believe it, but um, you know just knowing a little bit of Lisp will like change the way that you think about programming. Maybe you could say with like you know functions as code and code is data and all that kind of thing it's uh interesting ideas there i don't know if i think it will change the way that you program but it is a very it's a different enough way of writing programs and thinking about programming that uh i don't know i think it's worth there's worth a checking out classic book that i might have mentioned on the podcast before uh that used to be the textbook for the uh very first uh computer science class that every mit computer science student had to take yeah uh, and the, the book is called structured interpretation of computer programs programming uh, by Abelson and Sussman. And it's it's a fantastic book. It's 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 pretty dated these days. But if you really want to understand some fundamentals of, of computer science and, and programming, it's it's a great book to read. Uh, now, the language that they use is something called Scheme, which is a dialect of Lisp. And so I, I actually took this class many, many years ago. Uh, and uh, so I used Scheme for, you know, for, for everything in the class. And it, it was pretty interesting. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, you're really learning theoretical computer science when you do this and, and low, you know, low level theoretical stuff. But, but sometimes I go back and look at the book and see what's in, what's in there. And man, they were talking about stuff that, you know, it's still, still in use today. They're talking about streams and, and, uh, and, you know, all sorts of interesting stuff that's, that's uh, still around. So it's definitely worth, if you're interested in really the fundamentals, it's, it's definitely worth checking out the book. It's one of the few books I actually own in paper, in uh-huh. hardcover, no uh-huh. less. Uh, uh-huh. Every time I read it, I think I'd learn yeah. a little bit more. Maybe it's because my memory's faulty, but every time I read it, I feel like there's something else uh, yeah. that I yeah. get from it. So Absolutely. definitely yeah. check it out. They also did, um, I don't think they ever recorded themselves like lecturing at MIT, but they did a lecture for, I think, employees at like HP or something like that. So there's a set of 10 or maybe 20 lectures, and they, it's basically their, it's uh, six, is it 6002 or 6001? That was 6001. 6001. So it's basically that course with this book, but... Um, um, they did it for uh, HP employees, like after work or something. They did a bunch of sessions. So those videos are online. If you want to, if you like videos more than, and they're very like entertaining. Um, you know, I don't know. It's like watching your dad up on stage or something. It's very, uh, they're very. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, one of them dresses up. You know, he has like his wizard costume that he dresses up in one day. Yeah, I think so, like the was, wizard on the cover. I think that was Abelson. I don't. I don't remember. Yeah. What, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. What, I got. I think it, maybe it was Sussman. Maybe He's the sealer one. I, I feel know. like. Yeah. Uh, anyway, there's this. I'll find the link. Um, they're they're very low quality. They were filmed. They were filmed like thirty years ago or something like that. So, yep. They, yep. and if you watch them do their live demos, it's like anyway. If you look at the computers, it's like this forty-character Commodore sixty-four looking thing that they do their demos on. Anyway, if you like videos more than books, then uh, you can check out these videos as well. I think somebody else has taught the course, and they have the videos online. That like um, maybe at Cal or something. I think they used to still use it, and they have those courses online on like Coursera. But if you want to see the original two do the uh, the book and the topics, then uh, those videos are very good. I was going to also recommend. There's a book called um, The Little Ski. Which covers scheme. Yep. The style of the book is kind of weird. It's like a question and answer kind of a uh, hard to describe. But if you are interested in getting into Lisp, I would say don't read um, SICP because that's kind of a computer sciencey book. But if you just want to see a little bit of scheme slash Lisp, then uh, the little schemer is a good book to um, check out. I'll put a link to that as well yep. in the show notes. I, I do know that there at least used to be. I don't know if it's still there, but in MIT's Open Courseware, which is their you know, their version of Coursera or EDX. 
Rx. Uh, you can get to it th- uh, through MIT's website. Uh, they used to have that course up there with the original videos. I don't know if there's if it's still up there anymore. It may not be, but but it's worth checking out. Unfortunately, now, or, well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, the, <laughs> the the current version of the course now uses Python instead of Lisp or Scheme. Mm, I Wait. believe they're still maybe at Cal or something. They still use Scheme. Maybe, I believe. yeah. There's still yeah. somewhere where they do it. Um, yep. Anyway, I found the videos here. There are yes, there are 20. So it's 10 lectures, but they're split into two. So there's 20 mm-hmm. videos here. Mm-hmm. Super low res, but uh, that doesn't matter. I would still recommend checking it out. Yeah, and yeah, it is on the MIT Open Courseware site. But it's yep. the again, it's those HP lectures. Oh, it 1986. Is. Okay. Okay. So yeah. it's 30, 32 years ago, but still what, what very was very it? relevant. 1986. They did it for HP employees. Yeah. Uh, so, so I took the course in fall 1986, actually. Ah, so but, it's right on the same yeah, time. But yeah. when I took it, it was only Sussman for whatever reason. Ableton wasn't teaching it that year, so Sussman did. Ah, this is both. They take turns uh, yeah. pretty much, so yeah. you see both of them in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll find a nice screenshot of uh, Sussman in his wizard costume, and mm. I'll, maybe I'll post the screenshot for everybody. Nice. <laughs> All right, can I have my show back now? <laughs> <laughs> we're done talking about Lisp and computer sciencey stuff. Yes. Yeah, no, I'll so. definitely have to go check this stuff out. I think sure. we're good. Oh, I should okay. also notice, uh, mention the um, structure interpretation of computer programs. I think I'm pretty sure we've talked about it before, but that book is completely available online. You can get the mm-hmm. PDF. Somebody's made an EPUB version. Um, th- so if you just want to read the is text, that the link available. that you posted here, though, Greg? Yes. Uh, yeah. The link, the URL. Uh, it's the SICP link that says yeah. SICP slash full text. So the full text is available. The course mm-hmm. videos are all available, but the little schemer is not, I think, available. You have to buy that one. Um, right. But again, it's a nice introduction. You can check out the website. They give some samples from the book. I think if you want to see what you're uh, see what you're getting into. Cool. Yes, they have mm-hmm. a sample chapter on there. Cool. So, Greg, should we go around the table like we usually do and see if we ha- anybody has any picks? We should. Why don't we stop at you, Tim? Do you have a pick? I do. I have two picks, actually. Oh. Um, yeah. So, this is just a quickie. I just saw this on uh, on um, LinkedIn uh, last week. We're talking about uh, a lot of a lot of talk lately about AI. And so, somebody's put together a flow chart to just determine whether or not a program or a system is using AI. And it just goes through a bunch of different, you know, uh, things. You know, can it see? Can it hear? Can it read? Can it move? Can it reason yes or no's and then uh, all the way down to uh, if a lot of a lot of those end up going back to start whereas if you know if it follows all these sort of permutations it may in fact be using ai so this is according to mit's technology review so but this is by karen hale so oh there you go um not related to greg not even spelled the same way but <laughs> <laughs> um it's a, it's an audio medium i had to sort of spell that out for you right <laughs> but anyway so yeah um just an interesting interesting little chart or if you guys had a chance to look at it at all yeah i did i, I, I it was uh, more serious than i thought it would be i thought it would basically be everything points to no but yeah. this is a little more serious than that yeah yeah does eventually get uh does get down to it. it's it's funny though like uh, you know there's a lot again it's one of these terms that that's tossed around a lot like machine learning people say it but they don't or blockchain they, they talk about it but they don't really know what it <laughs> yeah. is right so yeah you know what i mean so every like everybody's like, oh hey it's got ai it's got to be good right but they don't even know what that is you know like mm. is it you know the, is it the T one or the the T two thousand? Was it which the which is the robot that goes after everybody in um, Terminator? T2000? Uh, it's T two thousand or something. I yeah, don't know. yeah. So yeah, it's a little bit evolved in Apple's T two, but you know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point we'll get to the point where the uh, secure enclave will be the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger's brain, um, and it's complicated. So my second pick is a real quick one, and uh, it was just that um, I had an opportunity um, to get uh, some courseware on Kotlin, and I'm off this week so i took a couple of uh, hours earlier in the week to sort of take a look at kotlin sort of go through you know sort of the swift apprentice kind of uh, version of kotlin book that i picked up and um is it the kotlin apprentice uh no it's not, uh, uh, do, is there one from ray I, I didn't check it out but um maybe, i don't know maybe. i thought <laughs> I, th- I thought there was i don't know though. i think there is actually there's one they're working on or something like that i haven't, I haven't really gone back to the bookstore there and checked but anyway this is just a, this is a different one um begins with a b and ends with ranch um but anyway uh yeah so i went through it and, and it's surprisingly very similar to Swift in terms of in terms of or Swift or, or those Swifty type languages. Um, so if you do know Swift and you feel comfortable with Swift, you'll really quickly pick up Kotlin. I haven't really got to the point where I mean 
able to build an Android app with it per se, because it's just a theory, it's just a book on the language, right? So, um, but yeah, I could see how I could see how the because uh, you know I think our team at work is sort of evaluating whether Kotlin will will supplant or replace or augment their their current code base, which is mm. all you know written in Java right now. But mm. um, yeah, they were talking about uh, the fact that uh, you, you you know because of the Kotlin, it has a different kind of language, I guess from from it's all based on C, I guess at the at the, at the roots, right? But um, yeah, I found it found it really really quick to pick up. I mean, you know, ranges are very similar to Swift ranges. You know, vals or your constants and vars or vars are variables. Functions are fun in um, <laughs> in uh, they are Kotlin, fun. They're pretty yeah, fun in Swift too. Yeah, but they're they're actually f u n in yeah, Kotlin. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the pun. Um, yeah. So there you go. So yeah, just a quick look at Kotlin there. So I have to have to dig into it a bit deeper into it, but I really haven't really found anything that was surprisingly different than what we're used to working with in Swift. So, Our, our Microsoft would, friends would claim that both Swift and Kotlin are, are ripoffs of uh, C Sharp. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Well, I think Swift was sort of written from from taking the best things that were in other languages. And, you know, now there's the Swift uh, consortium sort of picking and choosing what they like about various languages. And mm-hmm. I think they got a lot in. from Rust. A lot of the Rust developers eventually came over the Swift. So I think there's a lot of Rust ideas. Um, yeah, definitely stuff from Kotlin, I think, and C Sharp for its memory management kind of stuff built in. Uh, I think the whole async await thing came from also C Sharp. Is that right, Mark? I don't know. That's where it's kind of originated. Um, uh, maybe I'm getting that wrong. Anyway, yes, it's definitely, I think they've acknowledged that, you know, yeah, they kind of drew from the the best of uh, many languages, including Objective-C, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's just, uh, like I said, it was surprisingly easy to, to sort of pick up. And, you know, I was, you know, not, I sort of breezing through the, the because of the background already, you know, prepared and learned all these kind of things about from Swift and Objective-C. I didn't have to, you know, get have explained to me what conditionals were and all that kind of stuff. I could just sort of breeze through and try out the examples and um, see, you know, like, I didn't have to go through the error scenarios because it's the same area scenarios you'd get with, with, you know, breaking type safety and Swift, you'd get an error or if you break type safety in Kotlin, you get a similar error, you know, kind of thing. That's so pretty straightforward. And the tool, the IntelliJ IDEA, or just IntelliJ, they call it, is a pretty slick looking thing. It looks a lot like Android Studio if you've used Android Studio before, too. So, yeah. Uh, that, not surprisingly, same company, right? are all made by JetBrains. Yeah. Yeah. Not surprising. Yeah. Anyway, that's my picks. What do you got, Greg? Your secret, two secret picks. Two secret picks. I'm, I'm going with the code to keep this, uh, you know, episode just the code. Um, so, it's two more things that I've sort of run across on GitHub or on Twitter or whatever. Uh, the first one is a project called uh, Allo Stackview, Allo like you know Allo Vera kind of thing. Uh, it's from uh, an open source. It's an open source project from the folks at Airbnb, and it's a, a sort of a nice way to do static table views. If you want to do a static table view, you can always, or not just static, but if you wanted to do a static table view, you could use a storyboard, uh, not a nib, but it has to be a storyboard, and you can do a static table view and sort of lay out each row like that. If you don't want to do it like that, and you want to do it in code, you have to implement you know self row index path and like check if it's row one, do this; if it's row two, do this, and so on. It's kind of a pain. Um, and so I think a lot of people started doing it themselves. Or when Stack Views came out, they started us- using Stack Views. Uh, we do that in our app as well uh, in some places and just sort of have a stack of stuff. So it looks like it could be a table view, but it's not. And it's actually a stack view. And you get some benefits from that instead of implementing all the um, delegate stuff and data source stuff. You can just sort of add stuff to the stack uh, as you go. The downside, of course, is that you lose the cell reuse and some of the efficiency gains of table views. But depending on what you're doing, you know, sometimes it's okay that you know there's going to be a limited number of rows and whatnot. So this thing, this project, um, Allo Stackview, is um, like a nice. Imagine if you imagine if you wanted a stack view, but you wanted a table view like API for it. And this is sort of what this product is. So it supports things like um, did select row at index, or not index path. I think it's just index. And so it handles like touch events and things like that. But you just add stuff. So you say, you know, my Allo Stackview, add, 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 and it just keeps adding um, rows and you can insert and delete and move things around and I think it handles animation things like that so if you look at the results of it it looks an awful lot like a table view like the example they have on the github page is like they just add like a whole bunch of labels and it looks like a, just table view rows and so um yeah, it's just nice because you get, again, the look and feel of a table view, but it's the API of like a static uh, stack view. So if you have this kind of thing, then uh, I would say definitely check it out and it handles selection and all of that kind of thing. Is it embedded in a scroll view so it's scrollable? 
It is yes, yes. Of course, it's scrollable. I, th- I believe it's actually using uh, UI stack view under the hood. I was hoping it was just using um, auto. La- I mean, stack views are auto layout too. I was hoping it was just using auto layout, sort of raw auto layout. Mm-hmm. But under the hood, it's using stack views. So the other benefit is that um, you know, cell. I'm making air quotes here. Cells are like self sizing because if you use auto layout in your content and you add it to an allo stack view, then it's inside. It's actually um, inside a stack view that's inside the scroll view. So the sort of sizing. If you change an element to grow or shrink, it'll sort of handle it automatically because it's all auto layout under the hood. You don't have to worry about cell resizing if it were a table view and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so pretty neat. Uh, they have a lot of examples. So if you use the Airbnb app a lot, then you'll probably recognize some of the sample screens that they have. Um, so some pretty neat stuff. It's a nice sort of um, low-level-ish kind of a class to use. Uh, but if you do a lot of stack view stuff or you do um, static table view-like things, but you don't want to use Interface Builder for whatever reason, then uh, I would say check this out um allo stack view uh the other thing i had was this open source project or a little code thing um from a friend of mine, Phil Ferrugia, who's here in San Francisco, and uh, he wrote a Medium blog post. This is from a while back, um, but I just came across it when I was searching for something else on GitHub. And he wrote a Medium post about how he tried to implement the. He calls it the drawer. Uh, the Serious Shortcuts app has that drawer at the bottom. I, I, I think I've seen most people call it the bottom sheet, where it's kind of you know it's all over every app these days, where it's like the little sheet that pokes up at the bottom, and you can pull it up, and it has stuff in there, and you can pull it all the way up, so it takes up the full screen, but you can also like pull it back down and the content hides behind it um and so he wrote this post and he has a github project about sort of how he thought it might work in the series shortcuts app in particular so he goes over like you know how would you design it how would you think about the view hierarchy he has some he draws out some diagrams on the whiteboard and uh, has some photos of his whiteboard in there and it's just a really well-written sort of tour about how you might um, build a component like this which again is becoming more and more popular these days so there's a blog post and then there's a github repository as well uh, with the code if you're interested and seeing how you might build something like this. Um, bottom sheet, aka a series shortcuts drawer. Um, so blog post and repository for you to check out as well. Cool. I'm, I'm all about the UI these days. So I'm, I'm finding all these little uh, UI things. I don't know what's, what's happened to me, but uh, that's what I've turned into. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I didn't even notice that this, the shortcut drawer in, in um, shortcuts. There you go. That stuff was all over the place. I think maybe Maps did it first, like two or three years ago, where the little search thing was there. But when you tap in the search, it kind of comes up and your recent searches right, are there. You know? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing yeah. is all over iOS. That seems to be the new one of the new patterns in iOS. Like we had the hamburger menu and the side menus, and this bottom sheet thing seems to be the new thing. Um, so there's no built-in uh, UI kit control for it, I don't think. So you have to build it yourself. So it's kind of nice to see, um, you know, how how you might build it. And I like these things because it's the blog post saying like step by step how you might do it. Again, images taking forever to load here. <laughs> there's like animated gifs too, Tim. So you're gonna be waiting no, I'm for just, a while. I'm not even seeing anything. Like this happens in Facebook too. I get this sort of blurry. It gives a blurry image until the thing. Yeah. Is loading, right? So I, I mean, that's a feature. At least you can see something, right? Rather than just a broken image or a blank space. So that's oh, a feature. they want me to do something because they're saying something about the fact that I've been to this page before. Oh, do you have to pay or something? Is that what that is? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, do people in Medium know that they're be- that people their users are being blocked? Um, uh, I, I don't know. I'll put a link to the GitHub as well. We all we all care about the code anyway, so I'll put a link to the GitHub. That's the more important thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's it, Mark. Do you have a pick? Uh, I think th- my pick was the uh, six double one book. <laughs> <laughs> the wizard book as, as i like it to call it all right yeah so using here being tricky by not by not putting your 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 picks onto the pay onto the google notes and mark's tricky by giving us his picks before he gets right the picks. Mm. oh yeah there you go i see i see what he did there all right he's tricky tricky you think you thought Hami was the one to worry about mm-hmm. all right well i guess that's it for the week so hey uh mark if people want to get in touch with you how would they do that mark r at smapsoft.com and greg if people want to get in touch with you they can email me at mtj at gregkeo.com. All right. And has anybody ever done that yet? Uh, no comment. <laughs> I respect the privacy. I respect the privacy of our listeners too much to report on that. All right. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, okay. As I say, usually my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is the best way to get a hold of me. Until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. 
You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I'm sure you got the walrus reference, but did you get that correct? I did. Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of a Beatles reference, I think. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Really? Wow. That's as much so as there, I know. So there was the whole hmm. Paul is dead rumor. Yeah. yeah. And he was, you know, there was a, supposedly a stand-in for him. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so people would find all these clues in Beatles songs, supposed clues, even though it was mm-hmm. all not true. He's also sitting backwards on the inside cover of this um, Sergeant Pepper's, or the back of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. Yeah, so and he's walking. He's on a step on Abbey Road. Yeah. Abbey Road. With, yeah, exactly. He's barefoot. So, Right, and he's like out of step with everybody else. Right, he's left. He's left. He's left-handed. So, well, so yeah. on the White Album, uh, there was a song called "Glass Onion," where John Lennon, mm-hmm. to mess with people, uh, put in a, a a line that was, "Here's another clue for you all: the Walrus was Paul." Mm. <laughs> so this is why I'm saying the Walrus was Greg. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you amused. play that song backwards, he actually says, you know. <laughs> It's actually right. a message from the long you, dead if, Paul. Actually, if you play that song mess- backwards, he says he actually says that it was Greg Hio that he's talking, mm. <laughs> which oh, is really? amazing because mm. you weren't even born yet. Well, you know, he's, uh, he's a smart man. True. Yeah, maybe we can get a clip of that for the show. Too. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh huh. All right. It's funny because I was actually just watching a bunch of Beatles stuff today because they because of the White Album re-release. Right? There's a bunch of new videos on YouTube that haven't been there for a while. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Them. Like like um, well. The Beatles were the Beatles used to do. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it was a thing in the sixties. Used to, you know, they used to make movies and stuff like that. And they used to actually make videos, like, yeah, uh, like in the same sense that didn't, that didn't happen until like the ninety or the eighties, right? Wasn't Strawberry Fields the first official music? No, group? I mean they they did Paperback Writer. I mean they took bits of the Hard Days of Night and, and made them, like I saw one of I, I Feel Fine today, you know. But mm-hmm. yeah, Strawberry Fields for sure. Like they used to do was they would release a single that wasn't on an album, right? So Hey Jude, um, Revolution. And a few other things were released as singles, you know. Actually, separate lots of bands used to do that. That was kind of the. It was actually kind of the standard before the album became the, the thing. Yeah, the uh, yeah the the medium of choice back when yeah. singles were a thing of their you mm-hmm. know in their own like in their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, that's cool. But yeah, it's just ironic that I was watching the Beatles today. I just they've they've actually got a Beatles page on on YouTube. You can scri- subscribe to, and of course they, they're advertising this. I don't know if you've seen the White Album. The White Album already is what four sides long, right? Which is a pretty long album. Mm-hmm. And for the day, especially in the day, and um, they've released there's 60 songs on this release that they've released. Mark, it's like, oh really? You know, yeah, you know, John going to the bathroom and yeah. Paul emptying an ashtray and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, I did hear about stuff. this, and it has the uh, the full version of Revolution One, which includes Revolution Nine, right? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Revolution One and Revolution Nine were yeah. actually originally the same song. So they played Revolution One, and then yeah. they just went into this kind of long jam, and 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 in the jam, they put all the extra sound wow. and made it into Revolution. I thought dope was only legal in Canada. <laughs> so, so there's actually if you if you go on to this this page I'm talking about YouTube, you can actually see them playing Revolution, and it's the revol. If you look if you look at it, look watch it and listen to it, it's the same Revolution as that's on the album. They played that live. So I don't know where this idea of Revolution Number Nine being tacked on to Revolution comes from. Not Revolution, Revolution, Revolution One from. Oh, okay. From the White Album. From the, the White Album. One. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The slow yeah, one. Okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, the, the Shooby-Doo one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the fast one was the actual single. Right. And then there was another called song called Revolution 1. That was the song. Oh, okay, I follow White you. Album. Okay. And Revolution okay. 1 and Revolution 9 were, were the ones that were the same song. Yeah, as we like to say, way more than just code. Hmm. Right. <laughs> right. I'm just going to write number 13 down somewhere. It's number 9, actually. Number 9. Number 9. Uh, <laughs> number 9. Number nine, no, thirteen thirty into my recording. That's why I don't have, have to go hunting for the the sync, mm. even though it does look differently. But you know, that's right. Drop a marker. Yeah, yeah.
Uh, UI stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm the second day of my official vacation. Was, is Veterans Day a holiday for you guys? Or It is. Not for me. Some people uh, had a holiday. I, mean, I did not. It's a federal holiday. I, we, yeah. I was working. I know some people had the day off, though. Here. Federal meaning that it's like banks and stuff like that? Or? Yeah, banks, banks and the were, government. Banks closed. Maybe yeah. they don't deliver mail on that day. I don't know. It was a Sunday, but they observe it on the Monday. So right. yeah, some well, people ours, have Monday yeah, off. Ours is, well, yeah. Remembrance Day in Canada is our, yeah. our Veterans That's Day. That's definitely. So. Oh, you work at the bank, though. So I was going to say nobody gets that day off. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah bonus, it's similar to day. here then. Like it's not a you know not a general public holiday. Yeah, so I think yeah, because I, I vaguely remember, no, I guess we never used to get it off in school when I was a kid either. But uh, but I do know some people. Were, yeah, so I, I got to take the day off. So, but I'm out this week for some vacation. So mm, that's nice. I get the extra Monday after the weekend's over too. So I got we got a. Oh, because you guys uh, don't have Thanksgiving next week, right? No. Yeah. How was your trip to Grand Canyon? We already talked about that, right? That was three months ago. But when, what, was the, what was the thing? You were going to something recently. Last, a concert last, last week. week. Was, Where else was Generation Axe. Generation, yeah, Axe. Which, which was pretty right. fun. Uh, yeah. It was five guitarists. It was Steve Vai, yeah. Joe Betancourt, uh, Zach Wild, Ingve Malmsteen, and mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember the last guy's name. Uh, Tosino something or other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty fun. I mean, it was exactly what you'd expect from that lineup. It was a lot of yeah really fast playing mm-hmm. uh and, and you know some more melodic than others um yeah. but there's you know there's a lot of a lot of you know showing off and flashiness uh but it was fun it was a good show mm-hmm. cool. did they cover well-known tunes that you knew or yeah uh well a mix um there were a lot of cover tunes so zach wild who was uh used to be ozzy osbourne's guitarist oh, okay yeah. uh he played a bunch of ozzy tunes or sorry a bunch of black sabbath with ozzy Aussie tunes and Nuno Betancourt played a bunch of extreme. He was an extreme, so he played a bunch of extreme yeah. songs. Yeah. Yeah. Steve I uh, played some, you know, mostly his own stuff. But uh, they did a they did a Deep Purple cover as a as a whole group. They did Burn by Deep Purple. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I can't remember what else, but yeah, but there was you know pl- uh, there was enough recognizable stuff that it was even if you aren't a fan of any of those particular guitarists, you'll still know some of the songs. And it was it was it was a fun show, mm-hmm. pretty yeah, long show. Too. I didn't get home. Yeah, like well, I was up in Oakland, which is which is a good hour away from here. But I didn't get home till some like twelve thirty at night. Really, yeah. it was rough because it was a Wednesday. But uh, sorry, a Tuesday. Cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Tim, if you look in Slack, I posted a link to that Beatles Revolution One and Revolution Nine thing I was Remix? talking about. Yeah, yep. oh, yeah. yeah. Huh. I wasn't making it up. Who knew? Well, yeah, I saw Mark the, knew. I saw, well, I saw the uh, the remixed uh, White Album, which you know I have I have the whole Beatles remix thing that they did you know a few years ago where they remixed everything in the catalog but like I, I didn't understand why this um, White Album thing needed to have another remix but I, I didn't realize until I, until I was looking at it today that it's like 60 songs deep or something mm. this 2018 and they've done a remix for 2018 which I don't know what does that mean one wonders you know mm. oh there's actually thebeatles.com how about that they actually have their own website now mm. amazing since two of them are dead yeah <laughs> well, or three depending up. on whether you believe Paul died mm. Paul is dead true, yeah. it's true right. Ringo could be the only one yeah exactly right. Right. interesting and Billy Shears has been milking it for 40 years now. 50 years. Uh-huh. Oh, you think that's Billy Shears is touring around as Paul Hartney? Well, that was the thing, right? That was the that was one of the rumors was that Billy Shears was actually the guy they got to replace Paul and he assumed Paul's right. identity back in 1977. Right. <laughs> and he looks the same as Paul. It, that's why they got him. That's why they liked him. Right. He looked the same, sounds the same. Mm-hmm. Wow, this, this remix is six CDs long and one Blu-ray. No. Oh. So, like the first, the first two parts are the the actual album, and then there's a bunch of Escher demos. And then there's four, three CDs of sessions. In case you haven't had enough Beatles already. And then of course the white album on Blu-ray, which I don't never understood why people put albums out on Blu-ray. What's the what's the purple point of putting albums out on Blu-ray? Is it like a higher bit depth or something? Or? Yeah, I guess it's just higher quality sound, supposedly, but I'm not sure. You could sure. get like surround, you know, five point one stereo surround or something, I guess. That's true, yeah, yeah. 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 Well they used to they used to make a few albums in quadrifo- quadraphonic sound. Yeah. You know, four like speakers. Quadrophenia, right? right? By the who. Was was that actually four channels? Was wasn't that the, the source of the name? I thought it was. Uh, no. I, I know you could get you used to be able to get Dark Side of the Moon in quadraphonic phonic sound which I've always wondered what that would sound like but who knows I don't know wow six CDs worth of stuff across the universe take six I'm not sure what was wrong with take five but you know or four three glass and onion, two for that matter glass onion take ten hmm. oh, wow talk about finding stuff on the cutting room floor hmm. yeah and this is all the stuff that didn't get put into that uh, that anthology series 20 years oh, really? ago right well yeah. that was the first round of best stuff they could find yeah right yeah. and this is yeah. about takes and this is the I guess uh, the stuff that wasn't wasn't good 
enough to make that cut. Yeah. That's like Frank Zappa. They keep finding stuff for him to release, too. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, people want it, I guess. Store. Let's see how much they want for this thing. Oh, they have a Canada store. How about that? Beatles Online Canada. Let's see. How much is this thing? Oh, you can get a three CD set for $35. Or you can get, let's see, what can you get? You can get four albums. Of course, they have the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band Anniversary Edition. Picture disc version. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, this stuff's all on Amazon. Yeah. 138 bucks for the Super Deluxe version. Is that on uh, vinyl or on CD? Uh, CD. Vinyl's only 90 bucks. Huh. MP3 is 66 bucks. You get the entire George Harrison collection for $500 on mm. LP. An LP, really? Yeah, yeah. In a big box, big giant box. And the Beatle Christmas Rocket Record box, too. How about that? Oh, the Christmas singles? Yep. Have you found the Skydio anywhere there in Toronto yet, Tim? No, no. I've been to three Apple stores so far. I have to try Sherwood <laughs> Gardens now. Wow. But, okay. but it is listed. It is listed in the well so here's technically the thing right you can buy it from the apple store app in canada mm, yeah. okay so what does that tell you they're not flying around the stores anytime soon right they're looking by t-shirts on the from the beatles store i guess these are official beetle t-shirts Cool. All the stuff you never thought you needed. Mm-hmm. And you didn't think you needed it because you really probably didn't need it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found a page with CDs on it, so... Looks like there's also a Imagine release, new release. Imagine mm-hmm. the Ultimate Collection and Film release. You're looking at Amazon? No, I'm looking at the Beatles.com website now. Oh, okay, yeah. I saw the Foo Fighters play, and they started playing the piano piece from um, Imagine, right? Mm. And you thought, oh, they're going to cover Imagine, and instead they sang Van Halen's Jump, because it's the same song. You know? It's the same song? Yeah, I guess the same chord progression. So, oh, they, really? so the, oh. the guy's playing, the guy's playing like the Imagine piano, and Dave Grohl is singing, you know, Jump really slowly, right? Mm. Interesting. What will they think of next? Yeah. Wow. There's a uh, an album by Jefferson Starship, mm-hmm. which is it was the you know the post Starship Jefferson Starship when Paul Kantner took over again. Uh, that was a uh, an album of old cover tunes, Americana style cover tunes, and one of the ones they did was a mashup of Imagine and Redemption Song by Bob Marley. Oh, really? Where they kind of play them both together at the same time. It's actually pretty interesting. But I guess they are they're mm-hmm. also the same chord progression. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So my band it's cr- crazy by doing stuff like that we'd start a song and i'd sing a different one mm. just to mess with them so what was this about you uh jamming out at the td party or something what was this yeah well so we have a we have the town hall every year and yeah. so they had two of them they had one for our our you know um computer technical services group and then they had another one for the entire you know 600 people thing which mm-hmm. is all the mobile and you know websites and phone channel all that kind of stuff together and um yeah i was asked to put together a band of people from TD and it was a real struggle getting people to join up. I had a few people join up and then they got cold feet and they, mm. they didn't think it was enough time to get it to do it. And so me and one of the other guys I work with, uh, we were all for it and he went and found one of his friends. We've got a drummer to come in from London, Ontario. So we, we went and practiced the day before we had to play and then uh, we played. Yeah, we played four songs. And what was interesting though was I was playing in Hall C, which is the, the same hall where they do the Fan Expo in at the Metro Convention Center downtown Toronto. So it's a pretty big, you know, hall like it's not a you know small place and so it, the thing is that the the guy who arranged the the whole thing got like a proper you know um stage set up like uh what do you call it when you have a um risers so you had proper risers and pa system and we did a sound check and all that kind of stuff so it was like you know being able to play to jam we we only ever played once before in the sound check so we went through all the songs in the sound check and then we played them live um we did four songs at lunch um for the crowd yeah so it was kind of cool playing in front of like you know six hundred people from work you know at full blast nice yeah it was fun I mean, like, what do you got to lose? You know, you know. I kept reminding people we're not the yeah. Beatles. We're we just work for TV, so huh? Just your dignity and the respect. Dignity, of respect of your coworkers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say those two as well. Well, you just don't mess up. That's all, right? Right. right. We made tons of mistakes, but nobody noticed. Just us, right? So, mm-hmm. but not bad for having just thrown it together really quickly over a short period of time, right? So, yeah, yeah. So that was that was, and it's it's funny because I had just bought uh, Rickenbacker this summer for my birthday, right? And then uh, oh, the you know never. Yeah. Huh? The bass, yeah. yeah. The bass, yeah. And then, then it just like it, it happened that j- during sound check, I was only supposed to play bass on one of the songs, and then we were just going through it, and the other guy had brought a guitar, but he like he liked the look of mine better, so he was going to do all the lead stuff, and so he asked if he could play my guitar, and then we just I sort of said sure, and then we just thought about how awkward it's going to be switching, and I said, you know what, I'll just figure out the bass for whatever, and we went through, and I sang and played bass at the same time for mm-hmm. the four songs, so which is you know I'm not a bass player, so that's why that was a challenge. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good time, lots of fun. 
Is it on YouTube? Uh, I've only seen like 10 seconds of it recorded, but uh, yeah, no, it's just uh, <laughs> it on YouTube. I don't think so. Yeah, I haven't been back. To, I really haven't been back to work since because I was like had uh, too embarrassed to go back. Like, no, it was like, <laughs> so that, that, lost no, the respect the, of his coworkers. Yeah. That was on Thursday, and then and then basically I had one day back at the office. And nobody goes into Friday. It goes in for Fridays anymore. They all work from home, and uh, I didn't see anybody. And then I was off, you know, this week, right? So I haven't talked to anybody. People have walked up to me who I did see and said, "Oh, it was really good seeing you do that." So okay, yeah. mm-hmm. you do it enough times, you get used to it. I've sung karaoke in front of the, pretty much the same crowd, so I'm not really that worried about it. <laughs> but they were probably a lot more drunk when you were doing karaoke. Yeah, that's true. Well, the thing about this, yeah, they're all like, "Oh, I couldn't do karaoke until I have like you know a few few drinks in me, and like you know, I don't need a I don't need a few drinks to start singing." So as you guys can probably guess from having been on this podcast for four years. <laughs> You've actually sang on the podcast. Uh, I think I have. Have you? Yeah. This one. Well, I sing on Roundabout all the time because Tammy, you know, takes her time doing stuff. Mm-hmm. We do the Jeopardy song while you're looking stuff up. So. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's uh, stop the recordings and uh, like that. Start the upload and all of that fun stuff.